Welcome to the Moms for Wellness podcast on SM Enlightenment Radio or TV. This is a podcast for moms who are passionate about being healthy and leading their kids to do the same. Welcome, welcome back to the podcast, Mama. Well, do I have an amazing conversation for you, and I have a wonderful guest tonight. And our topic tonight is what the plant and human holobiomes mean for your health. And if you're like, holo, what did she say? Well, just hang in with me because you're going to find out what a holobiome is and why it's important and the connection that it has to your health. It is going to be a fascinating conversation. And my guest tonight is Jennifer Maynard. And let me tell you a little bit about her. Jennifer Maynard is the CEO and co-founder of Nutrition for Longevity, a nutrition company focused on improved health span and disease prevention and management through food as medicine. After a successful career and spending 20 plus years in the biotech and pharmaceutical arena, she decided to shift pace and focus on food as medicine. This was after her job took her to many countries in Asia, Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Through her travel, Jennifer experienced firsthand the difference that eating fresh produce and minimally processed food made in her health. After helping her father improve his health after his type 2 diabetes diagnosis by increasing his servings of veggies and increasing his walking, she realized the profound impact food has on health. This led Jennifer to focus on the area of nutrition that was so badly needed in the U.S. So she decided to take her science background and executive knowledge from pharma and focus her efforts on bringing food as medicine to life in the U.S. She met Dr. Valto Longo and appreciated the extensive research he had already done and continued to do in the longevity and food as medicine, and she wanted to be involved in that science and bringing it to life. And this was how Nutrition for Longevity was born. Nutrition for Longevity offers online meal delivery service and medically tailored meals from cancer to type 2 diabetes. For Jennifer, this is only the beginning with lots of exciting developments in the work, so please help me Welcome, Jennifer Maynard. Hello. It's great to be on your podcast. (laughs) I am so excited you are here. This is going to be such a fascinating conversation, a lot because you have such a fascinating history and one that you're going to share, be able to weave in through what we're sharing today and what we're going to be talking about. And I'm sure we can probably end up off on lots of different tangents and maybe we will get there. That's okay. But I, I would love to start with the holobiome. What I mentioned in the beginning, I'm sure people are like, what the heck is that? So can you start by just giving us a definition of what is a holobiome? 
Yes, absolutely. And this is something that I get really excited about because when I talk to groups, they're just blown away that only in the last five to 10 years have we even defined this term and understood what it really means to the human body and plants and everything in between. Um, so the holobiome is the concept that we're essentially uh, superorganisms as our plants. And over 98% of the gen genetic makeup of that superorganism is non-human. So when we're talking about a human holobiome, so we have 98% plus that's mainly bacterial. And that is driving some of our major functions of our body from our, our main neurotransmitters like serotonin, 90% of our serotonin is created in our gut microbiome. So that's what makes us really happy. Um, we know now that over 80% of our immune system is actually driven around our gut microbiome. They're calling it our second brain. So we're realizing that these organisms are driving so many different functions in our body and they do the same thing for plants. And there's even an incredible interaction there. So the holobiome is just looking at that entire entity, not just the human genes, but all the genes that, that make us whole. And it's really incredible if you start to dive into it from a genetic standpoint, because they've actually, through the Human Genome Project, they've mapped, um, you know, thousands and hundreds of thousands of human genomes, and they've realized 99% plus of our genetics, mine and yours, are identical, but our microbiota, the other 98% plus, is 80 to 90% different from one individual to another. And that's also what we're realizing is a huge determinant of disease. So yeah. it's also spurred the field of epigenetics. If you've heard of epigenetics, mm -hmm. we're realizing that our DNA is actually very flexible and it's because it's not just our own. We can draw on this holobiome for stress coping mechanisms to manifest our DNA in a different way. So that's kind of the overall concept of the holobiome and why it's going to be really the leading field in science and medicine in the future. Food is medicine being a key player because we're realizing that so many factors around what we eat, even how we exercise is impacting this overall holobiome and the symbiotic relationship that's required to keep our body in balance. That is so interesting because I thought that was a really beautiful explanation of so many things that we have talked about on this podcast in different episodes in the past, just even talking about autoimmune diseases and how it's different things that, play, you know, and just cancer and a lot of different things. People say, oh, well, is it just genetics? And like, well, genetics play a part in it, but your environment plays such a big part. And I that gives me goosebumps because that explains that environment piece and why that makes such a big difference um that connection there so thank you for so eloquently explaining that and so clearly um so what how would you would you define um the soil holobiome differently from the human one and um if so just what is that connection between the two okay so we actually parallel plant holobiomes to a human holobiome there's so many similarities and so and this is the human genome project spurred off all these amazing projects and one of them is to look at the soil microbiome because they say that we know we understand about negative one times 10 to the 28th power so essentially nothing about the soil <laughs> microbiome so we're physical beings we like to you know experience things and touch things and feel them so the things that we don't see we often ignore so we know almost nothing about this incredible soil microbiome 
but what we do know is really powerful and it's unearthing literally unearthing like <laughs> so many amazing things so the plant holobiome is similar it's made up of all these subset microbiomes so we hear about the gut microbiome a lot but we have the air microbiome you have about a foot around you a little more than a foot that's your air microbiome as as do plants and you actually are are making decisions or your microbes are making decisions about the people you interact with um, before you even touch them. And so that fascinates a lot of people. So you have all these yeah. different microbiomes, which are these subsets of your holobiome. And so for plants, the one we look at the most is the rhizosphere microbiome. And that's where the root system interacts with the soil microbiome. And it's really amazing because part of the holobiome of a plant is passed down from generation to generation through the seed. And um, the other is acquired through interacting with the soil. So the plants interactions with the soil, it can actually select the holobiome it needs to survive um, into its future. And that's important because humans and plants have been on the planet a lot less than bacteria. Bacteria have been on the planet for about 3.5 billion years, humans only about 300,000. So there's a lot more knowledge and people think that's weird to, to talk about knowledge um, from a bacteria, but it's hereditary knowledge that is passed down. These these yeah. bacteria have been through droughts and literally ice ages and everything that we've never been exposed to that we can actually draw on them for survival mechanisms. So plants do the same thing um, and they will draw on their soil microbiome as needed and then they have what they inherited from their seed. And that's really important when we think about farming um, because of how it can impact that. Because similar to the gut microbiome, all the nutrient exchanges happening in that root system, like for example, we, we talk about compost is oftentimes mm -hmm. coming from like animal manure. It's pretty much raw ammonia. And if you don't convert that to nitrate, nitrite, the plant actually cannot absorb it and it'll kill the plant. So literally these microorganisms are converting all these different nutrients into something usable that otherwise the plant would not survive. Similar with humans, a lot of what we are consuming is not digestible by the human, it's actually feeding our gut microbiome. And so I always tell people you're, you should be focusing on feeding your gut microbiome more than your human um, cells because it's less important. They're actually deciding a lot of our metabolic pathways. And so plants, it's similar. And um, that rhizosphere is also creating like a neural network, which is also what happens with our gut microbiome. It's it's really um, impacting a lot of our neurotransmitters and our neural network and plants are similar. So all these signals are happening and they've been able to show in recent studies that even plants can communicate through their air microbiome and soil microbiome stressors. So say a, there's a pest yeah. infestation on a plant next to another plant they can already be communicating with that other plant. Like I'm going to die, but I'm going to help you survive. And I'm going to, I'm going to warn you and you can wow. start building up phytonutrients ahead of time. So you can defend yourself to these pests. And that's, that's what amazing. Starts, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's what starts linking um, the plants to humans is the phytonutrient hmm. load because it is their main stress coping mechanism. We hear about any like um, superfoods and phytonutrient mm -hmm. foods and they usually, so phytonutrients are a stress coping mechanism for plants and they manifest usually as color. That's why you've probably heard eat the rainbow yes. and it's eat actually the really yes. important. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and that's because those are all this broad spectrum of phytonutrients, which actually the plants, it's a survival mechanism for the plants. And ah. the more biodiversity they have in the soil, the more they can cope with stress and they can have these 
beautiful, vibrant colors. And they've been able to show through studies that, you know, it's really, um, uh, you, you have these more phytonutrient rich when they're grown organically and naturally. And again, it's usually that biodiversity driving that. So interesting. I want to keep going on that um, to the farming, um, but I want to go back to something you said right in the beginning of all of that, which you mentioned that would sound interesting, but the air microbiome, that's fascinating. I have never heard that, but I do um, know a functional um, functional medicine doctor that, uh, or functional nutrition doctor, whatever the official title is, but she talks about one of the things that she loves to do. She's like, I give everybody a hug because it's feeding my microbiome. And so like, would that be why? Like it's because of the, the air then just- Well, I mean, you're literally, it is increasing your biodiversity. I mean, in mm -hmm. something where you're touching someone physically, not only is your air microbiome interacting, your skin microbiome's interacting, and they're saying that it's really important to interact with other humans, with plants, with the soil, because you're starting to build up that. But every time you do that, you're building up your biodiversity. So like when they say, have your kids play in the dirt, there's actually mm -hmm. a lot of truth to that. There's <laughs> even studies that have shown, there's some studies, amazing studies right now, showing that just directly inoculating um, PTSD patients with huh. soil microbes, they've been able to show a transition wow. and uh, an improved response. So there's, it will be a key factor in the future, not just our own gut microbiome, but the soil microbiome and how intimately connected it is to the human microbiome or holobiome. Wow. And I feel like that gives more credence to also to the, just the whole concept, like we are built for relationship. We need people. We need that connection. That just gives an actual scientific reason for that beyond everything else that we can know and understand, especially everything we've just been through, how important that is. And literally, physically, we need that to thrive and survive. So that's so interesting. Um, okay, so let's keep going with the, the farming then, because all of that just makes me think of so many questions, but maybe I'll just pose the big question then that you, you already led into it with organic farming. It just, I'm sure there's so much there then that needs to be done on the farming level. And, and then I know you talk about regenerative farming. So what is that and what would be the best way to to have these kinds of plants that are going to give the best phytonutrients and the best things for our holobiome. Yeah, absolutely. So regenerative farming is all about regenerating the soil. So <clears throat> our average farms in the US have less than 2% soil organic matter, which means it's really close to dirt. The wow. soil organic matter is the structure that the soil microbiome thrives on. So um, a lot of our farming practices are what are driving that in the degradation of our soil. They say we have about 30 harvests less left of our soil in the US and we won't have harvestable land anymore, which is really Ooh. terrifying. And, and you see it if you're a farmer, but it's very terrifying. So our farm we actually bought was a conventional corn farm. It just um, had no life to it. And so we regenerated it over five years. And every year you just see more and more diversity thriving. We have almost 200 different plants that we grow on the farm. Um, but it's all about focusing on building back up that soil organic matter. And there's different practices we use for doing that. So we use um, no synthetic chemicals. Uh, you, you may use a few plant-derived chemicals, which are just other phytonutrients fighting um, pests. So you use mm -hmm. the natural-derived ones to yeah. work in your favor. And keeping the soil covered as much as possible. So we try yeah. to not till our fields once we really get them going. We try not to till because tillage creates a lot of aeration. And think of these organisms as communities that are thriving together and you disrupt that when you till the soil. So we try to do low till, low chemical use, 
Um, and then we can try to keep the ground covered because mother nature, if you look, that's why there's weeds everywhere. It's always within, you know, a few weeks, the ground is covered. And that's because the yeah. soil microbiome does not like to be exposed to sun and too much water. So this is intentionally farming mm -hmm. to try to get that soil microbiome thriving and to get our, and there's a lot of great reasons. It's also a carbon sink. There's, we can sequester more carbon in soil than it'd be the lowest cost most effective way to reverse climate change would be just regenerating our soil because it's this huge carbon sink that could just suck all that back into the environment and every um, bit of soil organic matter we bring back also retains more water so you get rid of a lot of your um, issues with uh, water watering and overuse of water mm -hmm. um, so just a lot of benefits beyond just the soil microbiome but environmental impacts as well um, so you if you have this healthy, thriving microbiome, you also have these healthy, thriving plants. They can respond to the stressors around them. They can create high phytonutrient, essentially nutrient-dense foods. Interesting. So you said it took you about five years to get this farm, you know, the dirt to, to thriving soil. Um, would that be dependent? I'm just thinking of other farms or like people that have their own backyard garden, um, what would be the things that you, what are the things that you did to mm -hmm. have that become thriving soil? Yeah. So we add a lot of compost. So part okay. of what compost is, is it adds mm -hmm. soil organic matter back to the soil, but two, it adds a lot of biodiversity. So we use three types of composting. We use vermicomposting. So worms have incredible microbiome diversity. Um, they just they they really help get that environment like thriving they aerate the soil in an appropriate way so not over aerating it and they provide incredible nutrient exchange as well then we do um, windrow which is your typical just row piles and you're you're um, turning them over until they hit a certain temperature and then they, it kills all the bad um, organisms and it helps the other ones thrive and then we do johnson sioux compost bioreactors which creates like a super inoculant and it's like a one-year process that you just kind of leave it alone let it just build up this biodiversity and then you use it as an inoculant so we use things like that to to build up the soil organic matter and the biodiversity and then we plant different crops so monocropping is not good for building diversity in the soil either and so we like to have a lot of um, perennial plants that are building up the soil they're good for also the the native pollinators which is a different story. We don't have time to talk yeah. about. <laughs> I know but those so are much. down. Ninety percent insect biomass is down in in our world right Gosh. now, which is also a whole nother cycle. Yes. Um. But so we're we're doing that. We're building up that biodiversity also by having different plants. And then, like I said, we keep the ground covered. That's really important because it protects the soil. So you want to treat soil really delicate, and we're really yeah. hard on it. <laughs> So, okay, so a, a couple of things there. So you say keep the ground covered. So covered with what? You can cover it with mulching. You can cover it with straw, bark, um, okay. different things. You don't want it too close to the plant because it can create a nitrogen barrier. But um, you can do it with other plant matter. Um, a lot of regenerative farms will use like barley. They'll let it grow and then they crimp it down and it creates this beautiful like straw bed that you plant right into. Mm. Um, and then just even root, leaving the root base of other plants in the ground. Um, mm -hmm. When we harvest, um, if it's not a root crop, we try to just snip it at the base and leave that 
nice root mass ah. in the ground so those colonies kind of stay put and continue to Interesting. thrive. Interesting. And then you said, so, and it's funny because I was going to ask you about rotating crops. So then how do you do that? Is it like every year you're planting a different plant in that area or every couple of years? How do yes. you rotate? And so that's required for organic um, is that you have to rotate every year to keep the pest every pressure year. down because the pest will find you. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so you have to really move your crops around other than perennial crops. Obviously, you leave alone, they'll stay in the ground and they're meant to have that more permanent. And we do um rows that are dedicated to pollinator plants like every 10 to 15 rows will have like echinacea or something mm -hmm. where it's great for pollinators but it also builds up that soil microbiome within that row like really intensely those can grow like three feet deep roots which is great for the soil interesting and then what so what is aquaponic farming and why is that important so we um, we brought that, that's for our indoor farming. We wanted something that was also sustainable indoors. So that uses okay. fish to actually create a liquid fertilizer. Oh. Like I said, that ammonia, which is fish waste. We actually have a biofilter, which is a natural bacterial filter that builds up in the system and does that denitrification and allows um, the plants to actually uptake that. And then the plants filter the water and, it, and then the fish have clean water. So it's this incredible symbiotic system between fish and the plants and they grow really fast um they're very nutrient dense and it's a people don't realize it's actually not a new technology it's been it goes back as far as okay. the aztecs um wow. so yeah it's thousands of years old and they used to do it in big, big ponds and so it's just something a lot of regenerative farming is just bringing back her, what i call heritage farming mm -hmm. that we almost inherently knew you know thousands of years ago and then we lost it yeah, exactly. That is so interesting. I did not know fish were involved in aquaponic farming. That's fascinating. So is it just, do they, um, is it just one big system that they just swim back and forth in that system or are they kind of separate pods that they have? So we have, yeah, they're like big, huge circular tanks. So fish okay. like to swim kind of in a, they like to always obviously be in motion and they swim kind of circular. So you need pretty big tanks. And then um, those go into what we call deep water beds, which are essentially just plants floating on that water. And then we have vertical, which are ebb and flow, which just have trickles of water. Um, and we do that with our seedlings, even for outside, a lot of our seedlings are started indoors just to get them going. Interesting. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. Okay. We are running out of time. We only have a couple minutes left um, in this first segment that flew by. Is there anything else that you want to add about the connection, about the holobiome, about the regenerative farming that we might've missed? No, I mean, I think the key thing is just even not, not just um, how the food's grown, but then how it's processed and how, you know, it, it's used by our body because then that's the the human holobiome that starts working in our favor and it's it's heavily linked as well yes and i'm excited because that is the perfect segue into what we're going to talk about in the next next segment is about that connection because of the the 
um, base that we just laid, the foundation that we just laid about the soil and about that connection, then therefore what we eat has a profound impact on our health. And so we are definitely going to get into that and how you discovered that about your personal journey to that point and learning about that connection and what a difference that can make in our health. So that is amazing. This is an amazing conversation. And we are going to take a quick break and we are going to come back with Jennifer Maynard and talk about all these things about the connection between the plants that we eat and our health. So you are listening to Moms for Wellness on SMN Limit Radio and TV, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Moms for Wellness on SM Enlightenment Radio and TV. And I am here with my guest, Jennifer Maynard, and we just wrapped up an amazing conversation on the hollow biome. And now we are going to get into Jennifer's personal story and what led her into this fascinating world of soil and the biodiversity and the connection of that to our health. And so, Jennifer, I would love to hear a little bit about your story because you really do have a fascinating journey, one that started steeped in science. Well, actually, before that, you just started in off the pure land and then um, science and then travel to other countries that led you to a different perspective on food and our food sources. Um, so actually, I was going to start with your career, but maybe even start it back to where you grew up because I think it had a pretty amazing impact on you overall. Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in a small fishing village in Alaska, kind of in the middle of nowhere. So we lived in a tiny cabin, um, no running water, just very much in the raw. Um, But we really lived off of the land. And I would say it was very, I was very, um, privileged i i think a lot of people are like well you grew up super poor and you had nothing but it's not true um we had nature all around us and we were never deprived of healthy food and so we fished salmon pretty much year round like the best salmon on the planet um wow. and then we foraged and we grew a good share of our fruits and vegetables mainly vegetables but um my mom canned and preserved things and we lived a very natural lifestyle so i think it was really pivotal for my upbringing to have that good foundation then we moved to southern california <laughs> which was a, <laughs> a little very different difference <laughs> and then you're exposed to you know all these fast food chains and um you know it's funny because my mom would make us lunches because she was horrified with the school food <laughs> lunch you know food and we'd be like we just want to be like the rest of the kids yes and so <laughs> eventually like she broke down and was like here fine and for about two weeks we tried it and then we're like can you make us lunches again (laughs) so um i was very lucky in that sense because i was early on exposed to it and exposed to nature and soil and all these things and then um you know i went through a personal journey i lost my uncle to hiv aids it's what moved Mm -hmm. me into the healthcare industry because there was no standard of care and so i at that time 
And so I wanted to make a difference there. And I think that I'm not an anti-farmer person. Um, I think it has its place, but I feel like we overuse it. And that's mm -hmm. where after 20 years, I was like, look, I love what I do. I work in oncology, ophthalmology, hematology, all the different ologies. <laughs> and I worked in other countries and it was a great experience. Um, but I just was looking around, you know, um, you mentioned, so I, I worked in a lot of other countries. So I spent three years in Germany, three years in Switzerland. I worked a lot in Japan, Australia, wow. um, all over South Africa. And so you see um, how a lot of other countries um, live and, and there's pros and cons to every single place mm -hmm. out there. But the thing that probably stood out the most is the food system and how much more a lot of other countries even protect their consumers from mm. like Europe. Even when my kids first moved there, they were like, this ketchup tastes really strange. And it's because <laughs> they don't allow high fructose corn syrup in most of their yep. products. So even, I mean, my family doesn't drink soda, but a lot of our relatives do. And they're like, this soda is so flat. And I was like, cause it's sugar, it's real sugar. It's not high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> so just like little things like the sauces, um, not having that, when we first moved there and I thought I was a pretty healthy individual, hmm. but when we moved there, everything tasted super bland. And then after a few months, you start tasting the incredible flavors and in all your food. And it was amazing. Cause when I'd go back to the U S to just visit family, I, I wouldn't feel very good. And I would hmm. like, this food is so salty and so much sugar. And like, I'd eat a cupcake at a birthday, which I don't eat a ton of stuff like that, but yeah. you know, if I went to a birthday party, I'd eat a cupcake and I couldn't even finish like a bite. It hit me so wow. hard because I had been kind of weaned off of all those sugar addictions just by the environment I was around. So it's just hmm. not like you have all these bakeries with these incredible pastries and stuff, but they just aren't stacked with as much processed ingredients. And, and then everyone walks everywhere, which was a big, yes. um, I mean, I was always a runner and stuff, but just walking to and from your different um, shops and things like everyone walks everywhere. So between the the low impact exercise and the nutrition, it was just it completely changed my health and my way of looking at things, even for my children, because the school lunches were we were so spoiled. The school lunches were like the healthiest food. And I was like, why wow. can't we have this in the US? <laughs> exactly. So eventually, like I decided I, I have to do this. I have to change my career path and take the mm -hmm. science to make nutrition a higher priority in the US, not just for the parents of children to, to give that access to that healthy food, but also in our school systems, like my daughter, mm. every once in a while, be like, can I have a school lunch? And I remember feeling that way when I was a kid. Yes. <laughs> and then she comes home and her stomach's like gurgling. She's like, my tummy hurts. Yep. Um, <laughs> so I just think we have to start changing this. And so my mission really shifted to not just medicine, but food is medicine. And what's amazing mm. is our father of modern medicine, Hippocrates, has one of the most famous quotes, let food be the medicine and medicine yes. be thy food. And that was our mission for our company is let medicine be thy food because, or, and, and reverse. Um, and it really is when we start really digging into epigenetics, it is amazing how spot on those statements are um, because we realize we can flex our DNA. We realize that it's so much more about our environment, meaning our food, our toxin exposure, our exercise than even the genetics that we inherit from our parents. Yeah. So to me, that was just amazing. And it's been this incredible journey ever since then. <laughs> That's amazing. So fascinating. Oh my goodness. There's so many things in there, but 
I want to start with epigenetics since you mentioned that for the second time. Can you just give a quick definition of what that is for someone that's listening just like, okay, I don't know what that is. Yes. Okay. So what we've realized is that our DNA is really flexible and we can actually flex how we manifest our DNA. So say, for example, your predisposition to a certain disease. So you inherit a genetic biomarker we're realizing that you can actually shift if your body manifests that or not. Um, or mm. maybe you're not predispositioned, but you're not eating a healthy lifestyle, you can actually increase that. So like type two diabetes, hypertension, we're realizing 80% of that is lifestyle impacted, not genetics, wow. even, even over half of different cancers. Cancer a lot can be impacted by toxins, um, which even if you eat healthy nutrition, you can't always avoid that. Um, so those are environmental exposures as well. But the fact that we can impact so much with nutrition and lifestyle is just incredible. And that's really, again, shifting. Um, I've heard of it. I, the the um, explanation I love is like shifting the track of a train. So you have a train going down this path and maybe it's not the healthiest track that you're going down. You can actually shift tracks and hmm. switch over to a healthier track and you can actually take your genetics with you. So it's not like I'm stuck on this track. Yeah, I just I, I inherited these genetics. I'm just stuck with what I have. You can shift those tracks and you can go, nope, I'm living a different lifestyle. And we work with the Mayo Clinic. We work with all these different research groups that also understand that. And they're making nutrition such an important part of their mm -hmm. treatment regimens, because even if you already are in a disease state like cancer or type 2 diabetes or hypertension, you can still shift it. It's mm -hmm. it's really something that even after you're in that and and if you look at how the holobiome fits into that is mm -hmm. it's controlling those signals. And if you have a symbiotic relationship and it's all in balance, you have um, reductions in your oxidative stress. So your body's responding to that oxidation and it's repairing your DNA. Um, you also have really good muco mucosal lining, which is a protective mm -hmm. layer of your body. And then you have this really good... Um, response with your digestion system and your nutrient exchange and everything's kind of working together. When you start to um, eat, for example, really highly processed foods and you start to get in some of these vicious cycles with craving more and more of those foods, um, you start to actually shift your microbiome to um, less diversity. So the biggest thing is mm -hmm. diversity. So your body starts liking these oils and these processed foods and you start to actually lose some of your biodiversity or antibiotics, things like that, like excessive yep. use of some of these different chemicals, because it's the same as pesticides mm -hmm. in soil or yeah. herbicides in soil. So it impacts your body in a similar way where you now have shrunk all your biodiversity, you lose that balance. And all of a sudden you have oxidative stress, you have inflammation in the body. And it's mm -hmm. instead of just temporary inflammation, because temporary inflammation is okay. Your body has right. all the mechanisms to clear yes. it out. But when it's chronic, that's what creates that's chronic disease. Mm -hmm. So it's heavily correlated to um, over 80% of the chronic illnesses out there are correlated to that imbalance that happens Amazing. in our holobiome. Amazing. And I feel like that message right there that you just said I feel like that cannot be said loud enough. That cannot be said enough time or too many times. Like it just needs to be shouted from the rooftops because I think I, I think it's a, a very difficult mindset shift for us as Americans because I know my first 
run in with that. I was like, well, that's strange. Oh, that's odd. Like you can change X, Y, Z, like lots of different things and lots of conversations with people. Like you can change it by your eating. Like that's weird. Can't you just take a pill? Isn't there a medicine for it? And I feel like the mindset of Americans is is a very difficult thing to shift and a, a different thing to change. And I just look at your story, which is amazing. And, but it took going to and experiencing life in other countries and feeling that difference and like why is that different in the u.s and so i'm curious with obviously you are fighting the fight and and you have found a niche in this but i'm I'm curious what you see as being the most difficult thing to change or what the most difficult part of this change is in what you have experienced or seen so far yeah so I think in the U.S., the hardest thing is the amount of exposure and marketing and things of the unhealthy foods. So there's a there's a doctor out there that um, is in lifestyle medicine, just an incredible individual. And he says he analyzed the typical grocery store in the U.S. and you have 98 poor choices to make. <laughs> so <laughs> it's really hard when you only have 2% yes. of good options. Right? So, I mean, I have some rules that I picked up, but in even the just to put it in perspective, even in Germany and Switzerland and a lot of the countries that I traveled to, just the train station, like convenience stores are mainly produce stands. And that mm-hmm. is a big difference from in the US, like, you know, your typical convenience store, mm-hmm. you don't see any produce, like you're lucky if you can find a banana. And so that's one thing that the cards are stacked against us in, in the US. And I think that's just wrong. And I and I feel like it's starting to shift um, there. You know, we had the first White House conference in 50 years on nutrition, just two weeks ago. So that's exciting. It's a yes, the right step yes. <laughs> um, but we have a long way to go. And so I think that's number one is surround yourself with tons of fruits and vegetables. I know um, some vegans that are seven day Adventists, and I've been to their house and they just have bowls of fruit and mm. vegetables out on all their counters. So like, and and then after dinner, they put out a bowl of fruit, like everything is just exposing wow. people to it. Like my children, I've done a few things to kind of not trick them, but to get them excited about vegetables. For one, they grow a lot of their own vegetables. So that's huge. Get nice. your kids, even if it's just a tomato plant on your patio, get your kids involved with that, get their hands dirty. But two, I created a competition because my kids, like whether I like it or not, they compete about everything. So I was like, okay, yes. you each get to pick two different vegetables that you want and you can pick the best one and then we'll make it. And so they're like, mine's better. And I'm like, you know what? If this is what they're competing about, awesome. Like, That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> Best tip of the night. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then I just try to get a lot of colors on their plate and I don't make them eat everything, but I try to get them to at least eat two different vegetables every single day. And like, you got to pick your battles, but I think mm-hmm. the more you expose them, even if they turn it down, it's like, keep exposing them. And now my daughter, like, you know, it's sometimes hard with family members because they come and they're like, she wanted a bowl of ice cream. And I was like, well, did you offer her strawberries or carrot sticks (laughs) first? And they're like, oh, no. Um, So I think it's really just, you have to shift your mindset. um, And it's hard because so like having coaches, having a community of friends that, you know, you start to, I know at first, like my friends were like, oh, Jennifer's gonna bring the salad to the party. Like, but at, over time, everyone started bringing healthier things. And it's not that we deprived ourselves from other goodies and stuff, right. but you just start getting more of that into your diet. Like my father-in-law um, with the diabetes, type two diabetes, mm-hmm. 
it was a big um, shift that he had to make. But I was like, look, mm-hmm. just start by putting an extra serving of vegetables on your plate every day. And yeah. that's easy for anyone to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and what people don't realize is you can shift your taste buds in two weeks, 100% complete changeover of your taste buds. So I always tell people just stick wow. with it for two weeks, push through the kale and some of the <laughs> other things you may not love because we get people that eat our meals and after two weeks, they're like, I never would have said I liked kale, but <laughs> somehow I do. Um, cause your body starts craving it. You change all these vicious cycles cause it's horrible. The cycles we get our body in them, mm-hmm. leptin resistance, which makes us crave more more foods and we get into these obesity cycles, um, granulin cycles, like insulin resistant cycles. Our body is telling us like, I'm stuck in the cycle. How do I get out? And it takes a big change sometimes to be able to shift out of those cycles. Um, So it's just a lot of education and awareness, but more than anything, it's just getting more vegetables. Only one in 10 Americans gets enough um, fruits and vegetables in their diet, only one in 10. And that's mainly linked to the fiber. So I always tell people, remember, you're feeding 99, basically 99% of your cells are bacterial cells and they eat a different food source than you do. And it's mainly vegetables and high fiber vegetables. So, you know, um, they're they a, directly, yeah. Oh, now I was going to say that's such a great perspective, like a great way to see it. That's amazing. Yeah. Think of yourself as a super organism. I mean, I think that's an awesome name anyway, but yeah. <laughs> you're the super organism. We're going to so make t-shirts, super organisms. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> There's a project for all the moms out there. Make yep. super organism yep. t-shirts for you and your family. Yep. Halloween, Halloween, you know, next time Halloween comes around, it's coming up, you know, as we're recording this. So there you go. You can be the super organism family. I love it. <laughs> Have you ever done that for your family? That would be a good costume for you guys. <laughs> Wait, oh, my kids will love that. They're like, hey, mom, you're, you're not big enough to work. You got to do that. Too. <laughs> That's awesome. That is such amazing ideas and advice for us as moms for ways that we can lead our families into healthy habits and and just that encouragement of even just starting small and just how quickly our taste buds can change um, is just very encouraging advice and and just start you know just start introducing one new vegetable you know when you go shopping and be like oh i haven't tried this one i don't know what bok choy is let me figure out what to do with that Mm -hmm. and you know and just just add one in and just don't have it be such an overwhelming thing um i think is is really great and one quick question about that and i want to um talk about um what uh nutrition for longevity offers um but it also makes me think of the food pyramid and you've mentioned school and school lunches and a lot of things like that but my understanding of what the food pyramid is and what we've been taught is not exactly what it probably should be. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, it literally has a lot of times the processed foods in there and our bodies were not designed for these processed foods. They're too dense in um, processed oils and processed sugars and our body just can't take the concentration that we're giving it. It needs all the fiber. I mean, any really good dietitian you talk to says, you know, they have this uh, PFF, protein, fat, and fiber should always go along with a carb. Mm. And that's because, and really the biggest thing is the fiber because it slows the release of the sugars. And so I think that again is, is just mission critical to Mm -hmm. um, always, I mean, that's going to feed your gut microbiome. They need prebiotic, probiotic fibers. Like it's really, really critical. And most people aren't giving them enough. Yeah. I love that. Love that. Okay. So tell me what medically tailored nutrition is. I have never heard this phrase before. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So 
at Nutrition for Longevity, we we follow the longevity diet, um, which is really it's a a lot of people are like, oh, it's so high in carbs, but it's mainly vegetables. So keep in mind, vegetables are carbs, but you have simple carbs, complex carbs. We have um, the ones that are complex and have more fiber to them. So they're they're not heavily processed. They're whole food plant forward. Um, and that's the foundation. And then what we do for medically tailored meals is we shift the macronutrients and sometimes the ingredients for a specific medical indication like type 2 diabetes or renal um, uh, kidney disease. And so there's leading guidelines and then there's Dr. Longo's science that says, you know, this is the best um, ratio for this person to eat of different foods. And these foods need to be re removed from the diet because of these sensitivities. And so that's um, that's kind of the makeup. And we we support 36 different medical indications, but we also do prevention. So um, Dr. Longo just released a study that shows if you eat like the longevity diet, which is based on his mm -hmm. 30 years of research of the essentially the blue zones or the longevity regions of the world mm -hmm. where where you have the highest concentration of people that live past 100. So centenarians and they eat what's incredible is they eat oh, different foods, but the exact same macronutrient profile. So that's what he has huh. created the longevity diet with. And it's it's actually lower protein than most people eat. We actually eat about 50 hmm. grams too much protein in the U.S. Everyone's with, obsessed with protein, but we're getting too much of it in most cases. Yeah. And then it's got healthy fats. So it's a little more fat than some people are used to, but not an overage. It's not keto or anything like that. And then really high fruits and vegetables. Like I tell people the biggest like takeaway is we're used to in the U.S. this huge slab of meat on our plates. Mm -hmm. And then a side, you even call it a side, a side of vegetables. Yeah, side of vegetables. That's <laughs> like usually like a half serving of vegetables. And I'm like, what? And it's like coated in butter and salt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I tell people to flip that, you know, have, mm. if you're going to have meat, you know, have this huge healthy serving of all these vegetables and healthy grains, and then a tiny piece of protein. Um, that's enough, adequate, but not an overage. Um, and so we just try to start to flip that. And the medically tailored meals are mainly plant-forward meals. Like the the one um, that we're doing research with the Mayo Clinic, it's it's an oil-free, fully whole food, plant-based diet. Um, hmm. And they're seeing incredible responsiveness with cancer patients on those types. Wow. I mean, couple studies showing that. And it's just, it's low inflammation and it's feeding your gut microbiome and, and your overall body. Yeah, that's amazing. And are those medically tailored uh, nutrition meals, is that something that you partner with places like hospitals and different organizations? Or is that something that the average person can go to your website and get? So both. So our, our e-commerce site, what our typical um, clients go to is nutritionforlongevity.com. Our medically tailored meals are on nforallhealth.com. And we typically partner with insurance providers. So a lot of people don't know it's a medical okay. benefit. If you have one of those 36 chronic illnesses, there's a good chance your insurance company actually pays for our meals and even really? our dietitian consultation. So you can get free support from a coach, a dietitian, and you can oftentimes get the meals covered. Um, so that's something that we offer on our nforallhealth.com site. Nice. That is amazing. And then if I'm not necessarily having any specific issue, but I want to go and see what you can offer, do you have something just for the average person that is just looking yeah. to have more plants in their yeah. in their meals or just yeah. looking for a healthy meal? So explain what you offer. Yeah. So we offer <laughs> um, vegan, fully vegan, gluten-free. Um, we offer pescatarian, so that's with fish, so vegan plus fish. And then we offer flexitarian, which is vegan plus poultry. 
Um, those are fully macro-balanced meals, so you don't have to worry about getting the right amount of protein or fat or um, any of that. And it's void of refined sugars and it's low in salt. And so everything's kind of in that way controlled and it's all minimally processed. And a lot of the produce is coming from our own farm or local farms around us. And that's really important for us because we want high quality, minimally processed um, food that doesn't have all these additives and preservatives and fillers and things like that. Yeah. Um, and it's following those macronutrient profiles. So Longo just published a study that if you started that diet at age 20, you can add about 12 to 14 years of health span to your life. And if you add, if you start wow. at age 60, you can still add seven to eight years of health span to wow. your life. So it's not, it's not a small amount. Like people think, yes, oh, that's amazing. Like make me feel a little bit better, but we're like, well, it could actually have a really traumatic impact. And, and for us, it's not about living longer. Like I don't necessarily aspire to live to a hundred. What I aspire is to have a good health span, which means yes. that optimal time in my life that I have good mobility and good cognitive ability that I extend that as long as I can. And so that's what's the most important. And we do really specialty diets. Like um, we're launching a dementia protocol um, wow. towards the end of this year that is actually shown to um, reverse components of dementia. And we're working that with a specific doctor that's done all that research. So we do highly tailored meals. That's our specialty. That's amazing. Simply Amazing. I think it's phenomenal. And I feel like this is just the beginning because it sounds like you have so many other things that you can tailor meals for and just the research and the science to back it up, which I think is just amazing. But it's pure food and produce, you know, straight from the farm. So I think that's phenomenal. So can you tell us um, your website again and how people can reach out to you if they want more information? Yes. Um, so it's nutritionforlongevity.com. You can go on and look at our normal ones, or you could go on nforallhealth.com if you're interested in um, the medically tailored meals for yourself or a loved one to see if they get insurance coverage or FSA, HSA benefits, or just pay cash out of pocket. And then we do have a, a coupon code for our nutritionforlongevity.com site, and that's MOMS20 for 20% off your first two orders. So you can also... Um, try it and see if you like it get through that first two weeks of a taste bud reset and then you'll start to really love the kale and the different components. yes <laughs> and kale. You, can pick, you can pick what meals you want so we have like more comfort foods that are even if they're vegan they're really um tasty or we have like really kind of more exotic stuff because most of our dishes are inspired by the longevity regions so you'll see stuff from inspired by sardinia italy acaria greece nicoya costa rica loma linda california and okinawa japan Amazing. Well, Jennifer Maynard, thank you so much for being my guest today. I have learned so much and this has been so informative and helpful. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining me on SM Enlightenment Radio or TV or joining me on the Moms for Wellness podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Moms for Wellness podcast and leave a five-star rating or review. It really is helpful and we would be so grateful. I'm Jenny. Have a good one.